7.04. Saddle up because we've got a big show on tap for you tonight. It's Ira on Sports. 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo here as well. And it's just so much to get to in the world of sports. The Rams keep on winning. Basketball is underway. Hockey's in full swing. And we have the World Series going on as well. Ira is here to cover all of that with you. Ira, uh, before we get into everything that we're going to do tonight, at the end of the show, about 7.50, we're going to have a good friend of the show, Spencer Ross, on. If we're not familiar with Spencer, why don't you tell us a little bit about him, I? Well, he's broadcasted Yankee games, Giants games, Jets games uh, for 40 years. He's one of the most famous New York sportscasters. And so, so he'll give us a great sense of sort of about the Yankees because when they, their season ended prematurely to, for all Yankee fans. And also a sense about the Giants, considering they're going to be on in about an hour and 15 minutes on national television in Monday Night Football against the Atlanta Falcons. Ira, I've never seen, you know, I'm a Giants fan, and there's a real, real fall from grace for that team. And to the point where the, you know, the owner, John Mara, is getting involved, I think that locker room's got to be a mess right now. I can't wait to see what Spencer's take is uh, on that. Coming up about 7.50, Ira on sports. Let's kick it off with baseball as the World Series has begun. Um, let's go back to Boston versus Houston. I, Ira, I really thought that this was going to be a, an excellent series, and it didn't turn out to be. Boston really overpowered them. The key to that series, I think it's the theme to the playoffs even, is the fact that, boy, Boston's defense was good. Their outfield defense. I mean, Mookie Betts made some key plays, and you can put to Benavidez's play and Mookie Betts' play, but the great outfield plays in both series, really, but especially in the American League, was key. And the pitching for the Astros, the first game, we had our show last week on Monday, and Verlander had won. The Astros have won nothing. And they're leading in game two, and you're thinking, this is a series the Astros are going to win. They're, gonna, they're better than the, than the Red Sox. But they, Garrett, Cole could not keep, could, Garrett Cole could not contain um, uh, the, uh, the Red Sox. And then they lose. And Morton, Keiko lost game three. Morton lost game four. And then in game five, David Price outdueled, if that was to say, uh, Verlander. So it was a weird series in the fact that the pitching that we thought the Astros had, they had a Suna in the bullpen that it was going to be good enough. But the, but the Red Sox hitters are just, they just, just they overpower the pitching of the Astros. You know, it's one of those things that I've been talking about um, for a long time on this show is that. The way Boston plays is different than almost everybody else in the league. They do it better than you, and they do it by getting situational hits, moving runners. They stole more bases than anybody else, and they play excellent, excellent defense in an era when people don't really care that much about what you can do on defense. They want you to hit 40 home runs. It doesn't matter if you strike out 200 times doing it. Obviously, the Red Sox have a little bit something else up their sleeve. What about Game 3? This was Dallas Keuchel versus Nate Eovaldi, and this one didn't didn't turn out so good. It was 8-2. to two. No, it was 8-2, but it was close mostly the whole game, and, th- and that's where the Astros brought Asuna in, their closer, and then uh, Pierce hit a home run, and then Bradley hit a grand slam. So it sounded 8-2, but still, I mean, that gives them that 2-1 lead. But in both series, it was all turned by that Game 4 game, and that was, and, and that was the game uh, on Saturday when everybody, that was when Altovi hit at the home run, but there was fan interference, and uh, uh, the Red Sox go up 8-5, 
But uh, it's just they were able to, and there was a point where I thought the Astros were going to come back, and that's when Betts made, I want to say, I've seen a lot of baseball in my life. It was one of the greatest throws from right field. Oh, yeah. He, it was in the corner, Kemp hit a single or double, whatever it was going to be, but he's the fastest Astro, and he's rounding first, every going quick. Betts got the ball in the corner and threw a lightning strike. Right. I mean, you could not. It was like Dave Parker in the All-Star game. People remember that Dave Parker throw. But it was the second base and got him out. And I think that was, that was almost when the series ended. Was that on that game four throw when Kemp, when they're holding, barely holding to a two-run lead and, and, uh, and uh, uh, Mookie Betts throws one of the best throws I've ever seen and gets Kemp out at second base. It was it was absolutely phenomenal, but that's how these guys do it. I mean, there was a couple of you know weird instances throughout the series where luck was on their side, but a lot more than that, it was just skill. And I I really I know you were on the same page. We both thought Houston was a team to beat. They're the reigning World Series champs, and Boston just picked them apart. And that's why I'm really looking forward to the series against the Dodgers, which we'll talk more about uh, in just a second here on Ira on Sports at 7:09 True Oldies Channel. Ira, let's go to Game Five. This was David Price had never won a postseason start going into this game, and all my friends in the Northeast, especially in you know in the Boston area, were dreading David Price getting on the hill, but he pitched great against uh, against Justin Verlander, and this was uh, exactly what he needed to turn the tides for his postseason woes. Well, clearly, I mean, it was a game that everyone thought. I mean, Verlander had the postseason experience, had pitched great in game one, and Price has been a disaster. And uh, it was just, remember, he was up in game four warming up because they thought they might have had to bring him in game four, So, he, but he was in game, so they didn't use him, but he warmed up. And they thought, well, how much could he get? But he gave them six innings, two hits, uh, I mean, three hits, nine strikeouts, and no runs. A perfect game. Um, I think the game, when J.D. Martinez, you know, the star for the Red Sox with Mookie Betts, hits the home run in the third, that's sort of what was, oh, my gosh, we might lose this game. Like, at that point, that was where that was really the, the, the point. And then they had a, Devers hit a uh, three-run home run in the sixth, and it was 4-1, and Kimball was able to close out. But, but it, I think when J.D. Martinez got that lead on Verlander and they were able to hold the lead, and we talked about this last week, it seems like in these series there have not been comebacks. The team that takes the lead holds that lead the rest of the game and uh, with the bullpens, how they're using it. Uh, but it was, uh, that was just, wow. I, I don't think anyone really saw Price beating Verlander in Game 5. No, nobody saw it coming. Vegas didn't see it coming. Uh, you know, all the money was going towards Verlander. And how could it not when David Price was 0-10 uh, in career postseason starts? He's going to get the uh, go to the dish in Game 2 now, they're saying, after Sale uh, opens it up tomorrow night. Talk more. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the World Series. Get into the Brewers. Uh, Brewers with the Dodgers. This disappointed me, Ira, and I know that you, you, know, you pull for the Dodgers. You were at some of these games, but... I really like the Brewers' story this year, and I thought the Brewers were going to have what it takes, and they just did not. They got devastated by the Dodgers. Well, I, I was wrong. People complain about my predictions. I did predict the Astros would beat the Red Sox. I was wrong about that. But I said this series would be seven games, and I said I thought the Dodgers were going to pull it out in seven. And boy, did it come down to that seven games. Um, and, and again, game four was that key game. It was 2-1 Brewers. 
and, uh, and, and, and really then that was the 13th inning game with the Dodgers score in the first inning and the 13th inning. And in between, the Brewers had uh, uh, chances to score. They, they tied it up in the fifth. But in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings, the Brewers had a chance to win it. And even the 10th and, and 13th, they were, able to, uh, uh, they, were able to, they were able to get men on base and not score. Uh, and, and again, defense. Uh, Bellinger for the Dodgers made an amazing catch against Kane in the 10th inning. Uh, and then again, in the 13th, Bellinger had another big, big, big catch. But in the 13th, they were able to score and win. That tied it 2-2. If the, if, if the Brewers were able to take a 3-1 lead in that series, they go to game five in, ball, in the Dodger Stadium. They're, say they lose it 3-2. They go home only needing to win one game. I think this is the Brewers series. That game, I stayed up. It was two in the morning. I stayed up the whole time, and it took a flight the next the next day at like four or five in the morning. I had to leave for, but that was that was where the series. The Brewers just could not uh, get a run there. They just needed one run in like six innings and could not get that extra run, and that's what they were like one run shy. Ira, you know, you said Game Four was a classic, and it was uh, an amazing postseason game. But it, it's becoming uh, a classic for infamy reasons, for lack of a better word, because Manny Machado, he'd never really been a super liked guy or thought to be the best character guy. There was a little bit of a scrap. I want you to tell us about that. But when when Christian Yelich, who seems like a super upstanding guy, is calling you a piece of bleep after the game, obviously something bad happened. What did Manny Machado do? And do you think it was as bad as everyone's making it out to be? Well, what's interesting, oh, it was terrible. Manny Machado hit, uh, it was on a double play ball, hit a ball to shortstop, and then he was clearly out at first base. Um, he was going to be out by three strides, but instead of just stepping on the bag and running past it, he actually went into Aguilar and kicked him in the leg as he's running by him. And it's amazing that Aguilar didn't get hurt. I mean, he's a big, strong guy, so it's like, you know, but, but it shows how strong he was because Machado's running full force and just kicks him with a, with a running kick. Uh, clearly dirty. I mean, if, if A-Rod would have done this, I mean, it would have been horrendous. But then you're starting to hear about all these incidents where Machado has played dirty. Now, in the last couple of years, he's played for the Orioles. They've been out of the spotlight. So his dirty play has not been magnified. It's been on, not on the big stage. But the, where everyone now you're hitting people, everyone whispering, he's a dirty player. I mean, Manny Machado is a dirty player. And, uh, but that was a really bad play, and he got fined for it. But no suspension, of course, in the, in the playoffs. But uh, it was clearly – but it did affect him when, when uh, he went back for game six and seven. The fans in, in Milwaukee were booing him every time he touched the ball. Every time he, they were definitely booing him tremendously. You know, it's funny. A lot of people don't remember. He essentially ended Dustin Pedroia's career and, and absolutely agreed slide to, to attempt to break up a, a double play ball, and we may, uh, Dustin Pedroia hasn't been the same since. He's basically a bench coach uh, for the Boston Red Sox at this point. You know, coming from the financial standpoint, though, Ira, do you think, you know, Manny is up for a contract. Do you think that that play and plays like this and his new reputation is going to affect him getting the most money in free agency this, this offseason? I don't think it'll affect. I think he's going to sign with the Dodgers. The Dodgers like him. I think he fits with the Dodgers. The Dodgers have a bunch of crazy players. I don't think it matters. I, I, you know, they say that he's bad. And the, uh, the, another comment he made, some people said, was that during the series, they asked him why he's not hustling. And he goes, I don't get paid to hustle. No, he goes, I don't, I'm not called uh, Manny Hustle, like Charlie Hustle. You know, he's like almost bragging the fact that he doesn't hustle. So clearly he has some issues. 
But in the end, he's a great shortstop. He's excellent defensively. He makes he you know hits well. Um, I think he'll get his money. I think there's some. I think the teams that would shy away from him. I, there's only a few teams that want Manny Machado, and uh, the Dodgers. I think will keep him. I think he's. I think he likes playing in L.A. I think it's going to be a little bit of a um, you know a full boat once Corey Seager, the All Star shortstop, comes back. But I think you're right, Ira, and I can see him fitting in L.A. They obviously are willing to look past some of these things. Uh, Yasiel Puig has been nothing but a headache for them and for every other team in the league with his antics, and they don't seem to be too bothered by that. But I do think, Ira, I think teams like the Yankees and Red Sox, uh, and I don't know if you agree with me, they're not going to be looking to invest money in him. And he's a great player, but I think franchises like that are going to be shied away. What do you think? He needs, he needs to, I mean, the Dodgers will get him on the, the, the problem with some of these players is that, that like what J.D. Martinez experienced this last year, when no one was bidding for him, the Red Sox were able to get him for $100 million. He needs, a, he needs two teams to want him and bid the price up on him. If only the Dodgers want him, and I'm sure the Dodgers want him. Um, even, they'll figure out, Seager couldn't even, uh, he's so much better than Corey Seager, it's not even close. So I, I, I got it, and the Dodgers are a win now, right now team. They're not, all oh, uh, Corey will develop later, they, they want to win at this moment. And, uh, but they need another, in order to get his price up, he's going to have to get someone else bidding against him. And I don't know, you're right, it's going to be an issue, but it definitely, playing on the magnitude with a magnifying glass of the playoffs, Someone like <laughs> plays like Machado. It's different than playing in Baltimore in front of five thousand fans, and this game's not on TV. <laughs> it's seven seventeen. Ira on sports. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's ninety five nine. The True Oldies Channel. Seven fifty. Legendary New York sportscaster Spencer Ross joins us. Also, Ira was at LeBron James's first game in L.A., and I can't wait to hear how this goes. You think there might be a little trouble in paradise? But first, you were in L.A., so why not take in uh, the Dodgers winning five to two? Tell us about that game. Well, it was funny that, remember, game four ended at two in the morning. They went back at two o'clock the next, that was two in the morning East Coast, but even 11, 11.30 at night, West Coast, they come back and play a game that started at two o'clock. And I flew from, I was in Pittsburgh and had to fly from Pittsburgh and just made the game like an hour <laughs> before the game. I'll tell you one thing, it's great. Playoff games in the daytime at Dodger Stadium at two o'clock start, it was, the weather was perfect. Um, everyone was there early getting souvenirs. Um, Kershaw was pitching, so they had just won the night before, and uh, it was just the excitement was definitely in the air, and it was neat. You know, they have so much history. Reggie Smith comes and throws the ball to Steve Garvey, and Steve Garvey does the Vince Scully call, it's time for Dodger baseball, and people go crazy. And it's funny, the fans were getting on Aguilar, not Machado, you know, because they were, they were mad that Aguilar complained about Machado. And it was tons of celebrities. I was like three rows behind Owen Wilson, and uh, it was... But the interesting part of the game was the Brewers started uh, left-hander Miley uh, to start the game just for one pit, one, one batter, and then they pulled him because the, they wanted to force the Dodgers to go more to a right-hand hitting lineup, but then they pulled him and they were brought in Woodruff in, who's a right-hander, and then they were able to mess the Dodgers up. I've never seen that happen. I, I bet you more teams are going to try that. But uh, it, it, it definitely was a situation. It was, a, again, a very close game. And they, the Brewers got to Kershaw early. It took a one nothing lead. Uh, but in the third inning, when they were ready to break the game, in the bottom of the fifth, when they were ready to break the game open, because Kershaw, they're down one nothing and they're still not scoring, um, they, uh, that in the third inning, they were able to get bases loaded and Aguilar struck out. And I think if, if Kershaw would have given up that run there, it's, it's, remember the series was 
2-2, I think that would have been, you know, get the Brewers. If the Brewers would have won that game, again, that would have been the key. They just could not get that one run. And uh, when Aguilar struck out, Kershaw then was able to coast the rest of the game, and they ended up uh, cruising to a fairly easy win. You know, Ira, um, you know, we have obviously you're texting uh, Sean LaGrega and I during that game. I had never saw anything like that before. And when you texted it to us, hey, they just started a lefty. So obviously the Dodgers tweaked their lineup, and they pull him after one at bat. I thought that was one of the coolest, uh, most smartest piece of strategy that I've ever seen from, from a baseball manager. I just thought that was so cool. Game six, um, we saw David Freeze in this game, and uh, it, it ended up uh, going pretty well. Amazing that David, you know, it, it's like, it's like he just, you know, David Freeze shows up and then he hits home runs. You know, that's what he does. But, but Milwaukee was able to get to, um, uh, to, to, the, to Roy, the, uh, uh, Rao, the, the pitcher for the Dodgers. And, uh, you know, it, just, it, was, it was like one of those games where I think the Brewers, they needed, they wanted to force a Game 7, and they were able to get that Game 7 forced. And, and there's nothing better. That hasn't been a, a Game 7 in the National League uh, championship, and it was like 10 years. So it was very exciting to see the Game 7. Yeah, Game 7 uh, went on. Cody Bellinger was named your MVP of that series. We'll see what he has as the World Series gets started tomorrow night just after 8 p.m. in Boston on Fox. It's Ira on Sports, 720. Mike Balsamo, this is 95.9, the true oldies channel. All right, Ira, I've been wanting to hear about this. You were at LeBron's first game wearing yellow and purple. And this is, before we get into the game itself, this is a long list of, <laughs> a long list of iconic LeBron games you've attended. Well, I think, look, I have been, my list of games has been, I was in 2010 when he lost to the second round to the Celtics, when he almost quit on the team. So I was in those games in Boston Garden. Then he, when he went to Miami, I was at not his first game, but his first couple games. But the loudest crowd I've ever heard was he returned to Cleveland and they booed him. 2001, they were there an hour and a half before the game. The fans were packed. Everyone was ringed. And every time LeBron took the ball, they booed him. Then I was in Miami when he lost in the finals in 2011 and in 2012 and 13 when he was able to carry the heat. And then, of course, when he returned to Cleveland, I was there for that game, but the game against the Knicks in 2014. The fans were there five hours before the game. Everybody was packed. It was the most exciting, the return of the king. And then, of course, I went to all the final games from 2014 to 18. I would actually count 19 finals games. So I've sort of seen a lot of LeBron's big games. And also interesting, I was with the Lakers when they won the 2000 finals with Kobe against Orlando, and then against 2010, their last series against Boston. And two years ago, I was at Kobe's last game. So I've had this feel of being in Los Angeles for the games and also seeing LeBron. So it was interesting. I really, this was a must-see game to see LeBron's first game. Let's talk about how things actually went down uh, in the game, the atmosphere. You seem to think, and I, I agree with you, that this city is going to be hard to win over, not like walking right into Cleveland, or even people thought that Miami wouldn't be uh, embraced or embrace him so quickly, but you think that this is going to be kind of tough for him out in Cali. Well, we didn't really, I didn't finish the game seven of the game, but it, it dovetails with LeBron because the game seven, like I had tickets for the game and we had extra tickets. We couldn't even sell them because the prices were dropping because everybody in LA was going to watch the game on TV. They didn't want to go to LeBron's first game. So 
we're trying to watch the game, go to LeBron's game. Then before the game started, everybody, now the Dodgers got the lead. The Dodgers in game seven, they got the lead. Uh, Yasuo Pig hit the home run. Dodgers are, it was really cruising most of the, like, the last four or five innings. The game was over and the Dodgers were going to win and everybody knew it. But I was in the stadium maybe 45 minutes before watching the baseball game on my phone and there was nobody in the arena. I mean, it was 15 minutes before the game time. LeBron's out there warming up, and it was sort of like a practice almost. There was not that excitement that was in Cleveland, and that's what I'm saying. The difference for LeBron is when he was at Cleveland, he was the man. He was the only thing in Cleveland. Even in Miami, Dwayne Wade preceded him, but he was part of Wade and Bosch and LeBron, and they were the team, and they were the, everybody in Miami was coming out. LeBron's first game in L.A., which you think, the return to the king, well, there was the Dodger game going on that everybody was trying to watch. There was a Drake concert down the street. The Rams are 7-0. They're playing great. And then it's one thing. There's other things. Also, the sun. It's beautiful. It's 80 degrees, sunny, all that stuff. But also, when they announce the team, it's like 16-time champion. This isn't like LeBron going to Cleveland where they never won a title. It's not like when he went to Miami where they had that one title. This is the 16-time champions. Kobe, they have Kobe Bryant. They have Magic Johnson. Each won five titles. They have all the titles. They have all the glitz. LeBron is just one of many great players to have played. He's the best player in basketball, the best player in the NBA, one of the, great, one of the two greatest players of all time. But he's still another player. And if he doesn't win a title in L.A., they don't care. They don't care what he's done in Cleveland. They don't care what he's done. He's a star. There's stars all over the time. But he's going to have to deal with the fact that there, he is not the man in this town. This, is, this town is bigger than LeBron. And I know that sounds weird, but when he was at Cleveland, that, he, that town was his. It was everything. He was the star. He has, his, his, his billboard was, uh, you know, was over the entire stadium. Pictures everywhere. Everyone wore his short shirt. Everyone was LeBron fan. Especially when Kyrie left, he became even more. It was his team. And it's, he's not like that now here in L.A. There's just so many other things. And I think he, I mean, he has to know what he got himself into. I'm sure he's aware of it. But it's much greater. And even after the game was over, fans were saying, he's not Kobe. I miss Kobe. Stuff like that. They're talking about Kobe Bryant, who's wow. 40 years old and wow. he's all retired. <laughs> See that I wouldn't have expected. See, can you just you know jog my memory of what happened when he got to Miami? I was think you know I'm under the impression oh Miami not a great sports city, but I feel like he was received pretty well once he got down to uh, American Airlines Arena. Even after I remember going to Heat games where the upper deck of the Heat was they put curtains up. Even after they won the title, I went to a Hawks game, and I remember I could not believe they could not even sell the top of American Airlines Arena. That, and they had just won the title. They had won the title. So the point is that when he came, then they said, you know, that's when he said we laid off all our uh, ticket people. It was sold out forever. I mean, he definitely was. I mean, he turned Miami into a basketball town. So much so that even after he left, the team sells out all their, you know, doesn't, I don't think they sell out all their games, but they don't put a curtain on the top deck of the, of, the, of the American Airlines arena. That's what he did. He created basketball in Miami. Just as like, more, and as much as Dwayne Wade was there, this became LeBron's town, LeBron's team, LeBron it was this, and he was the star in Miami, uh, taking his talents to South Beach. It's just different here. It's not like when he went to Miami. Let's talk about the actual Lakers play. I mean, I think, you know, from, from our discussions, you think there's some real potential here for the L.A. Lakers with some of the young talent mixed with uh, the best ever. Well, 
<laughs> well, Jordan's the best ever, but still. Oh, um, that's a debate for another have, day. Wait, it's a weird team. You have Stevenson, Rondo, and LeBron, who are like mid-30s, and then you have a bunch of 20 and 21 and 22-year-old <laughs> players. Lonzo Ball looks like he's improved a lot. Um, Kyle Kuzma from last year has improved a lot. Brandon Ingram, has, from the player from Duke, is now in his third year, and he's only like 22 years old, and he looks has improved. But Hart, the, the point guard out of Jason Hart from, uh, uh, from Villanova, wow, he looks like he totally improved. And they play a very up-tempo game. They're very excited. Also, Javon McGee's on the team. He's an older player. But it's a, it's a different type of team. I mean, there's, this team has ball handlers. Watching LeBron in all these last couple years in Cleveland where they really didn't have the ball handling, like, they, they have ball handlers. They have guys that run. They play hard. It's going to be an interesting team. Now, everybody keeps talking about what – player LeBron's going to add. I think it's just as important as what player he's going to add is how well these four young players develop. And I'm sure they'll make the trade. If Russell Westbrook was available, if there's another player they could trade. But right now, the development of this young team is very important. And I'll give LeBron credit. And they had some, they had the camera on him, the microphone on him. He's taking players aside. He is a leader on the court. He's working with Luke Walton. I mean, it's definitely, he's working with these young guys in trying to develop and grow this team. He's very, and I think he likes that role. As much as they said he doesn't like playing with young players, I do think he likes playing with this group, and they're, he's working with them. Now, after a 10-game losing streak, is he going to like that? I don't know. But right now, <laughs> it seems like he's embracing the role as a teacher and leader on this team. Let's talk about, you know, the flip side of the coin, the reigning Western Conference, uh, reigning Western Conference number one seed, the Houston Rockets. They might be on a little bit of a downtick here, Ira. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, they looked... When last year, when Chris Paul joined James Harden, people said, is this going to work? And nobody had predicted that they would win the Western Conference. They said, Golden State's going to win it. But boy, they played great. They played up-tempo. They made their threes. This year, they lost Trevor Ariza. They lost Ryan Anderson, who played a small part. But um, they don't look like they're – and also, remember, they lost Game 7. And I think they still have that hangover where they were one game away from beating the Warriors and going to the finals and winning the title. Because you've got to think they'd be the heavy favorites over LeBron's team, uh, you know, considering the Warriors swept, uh, swept the Cavaliers. And I think that's sort of this hangover. And they've got to get their legs together and, and run. But they did not look good. They were missing shots. This team, this defense was poor. Um, they just did. Now they ended up winning the game against the Lakers, but then, then the next night, though, they lost to the Clippers. But I don't think this team, the, the Rockets, I'm not, they're going to struggle. They're not going to win like as many games as they won last year. Uh, let's talk about something that was weird to me, and you brought the point up to me as well. The end of the game. This is not typically what happens when LeBron James is on someone's roster. Tell us about it. Well, I thought it was, it was interesting. After seeing LeBron play um, in the, all, the final, all the playoffs last year, I mean, the play, there was one play. The Cavaliers, forget about what they talk about play. The play was throw it to LeBron and get out of the way. That was the only play they had. LeBron would have the ball. And also the play was LeBron doesn't leave the court. LeBron is playing 48 minutes. LeBron has the ball every moment of every game. He's going to make every pass. He's going to do everything. That was it. It was weird to see LeBron on the wing. It was weird at the end of the game seeing uh, Ingram and Kuzma. Not Ingram was out of the game, but Kuzma. 
Kuzma and Ball like taking shots. There was like four possessions in the final three minutes, two minutes of the game. LeBron did not touch the ball. I don't think I've ever seen that ever. Even when he played with Kyrie Irving, the LeBron doesn't touch the ball. Now he wasn't yelling and screaming, and you know that this is early and he's going to fix it. But it was interesting to see going from last year, just about I don't know five months ago to now, and seeing LeBron. It's like it's like guys. You have LeBron on your team, like, throw him the ball. Like, it's like, you know, clearly Cleveland, they knew the play. They knew throw it to LeBron. Don't do anything. Like, before they would shoot, they looked to LeBron. Is it okay? I can shoot. And I don't think the message got to the Lakers. Now, and LeBron did not, for his sake, did not start screaming at the players, saying, you got to get me the ball. I'm sure they talked in the locker room that way. But the point was, it was interesting to see that the team somehow, somehow forgot that LeBron was on the court. It's Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel, 731. Spencer Ross joins us right about 7.50. Ira, let's give your predictions. There's a big big shakeup you know, amongst the NBA, and we're going to see a changing of the guard. The West isn't as good anymore as it was. I mean, obviously, you still got Golden State sticking around. The East is, is rapidly getting better. Why don't you give us your predictions on who it's going to be at the end of the day? We'll start with the Eastern Conference. Who are you taking to the playoffs? I think so. Look, Celtics, 76ers, and Raptors, and the Bucks. I think those are the top three easy seats. Depending on, I love what Indiana did the playoffs last year, and I love that they brought most of the team back. Um, and how the Bucks play, I think we're improving too. So I like. I think those will be four and five, six, seven, and eight is up. I mean, for anybody, I think the Heat have a shot. I think the Heat have a shot at that sixth position. I think the Wizards have a shot at the seven, between six, seven, and eight. I like Heat, the Wizards, and I think. Boy, anybody could get eighth. I mean, people talk about Charlotte, but I think it's going to be the Cavs. So I, I think the Cavs are going to figure out some way to get into those, those final three positions. But uh, the Celtics look – I'm going to say this. I think after watching a few games of the year and knowing the talent the Celtics had and how well they played last year, they – I don't – the people who think this is the Warriors that are going to walk in easily win their title – I think the Celtics can beat them. I think the Celtics can beat them now, and we'll see how the year plays out. But the Celtics have all the players they had last year, plus they put uh, Kyrie, Gordon Hayward, and plus the development. Tatum and Brown, they're young. They have another year. They're better, and they have Rozier, and you have Smartback, and you have Baines. I mean, they, have, they go 10 deep. They have, a, they have a team that can beat the Warriors. Not just, I'm telling you, I think it's even money between the Warriors. Uh, if, if, the, if the Celtics are healthy and the Warriors are healthy, I think the slight, slight edge to the Warriors. But the, the, the Celtics have more depth than the Warriors do. And uh, they don't have Durant. They don't have Curry. But they have great players, too. And uh, I think it's going to be it would be a great finals between the two of the teams. I totally agree. I think anyone who assumes that the Warriors are going to walk to a, another title is crazy because these Celtics are here for real. A team that I don't know if they're real or not, Ira, and I'll I, I admit I've become an honorary uh, Miami Heat fan. In the, I've lived here for a decade in Florida. I obviously still have some allegiance to the Knicks, but they make me want to throw up on a nightly basis. So I, I've started following and taking an interest in the Heat. Do you think this team can take it? They've got a whole bunch of players that are good. They don't have anybody who's great, and, and that's going to be an issue. Do you think they have any shot of making a dent in the playoffs? And do you think Jimmy Butler, do you think that trade has any chance to happen? Because it seems to have cooled off. I think the trade's cooled off. I don't think it's going to happen. Supposedly, Riley and uh, uh, had a feud with Tibero and Tibero, the coach of the of the Wolves, about it. Um, I, I think you're going to have to see is who. It's just going to be Eric Spolstra is going to have to coach great. He's going to have to be the star of this team. He's going to have to. He has a lot of lot of parts. It's almost like how Major League Baseball now is using relievers. 
It's like yeah. you're going to have to make a lot of decisions. You're not going to roll out five guys. He's going to have to know who's hot on a certain day, what games Whiteside's going to have to play, what games he's not going to play, what games Magruder's going to play, what games he's not. It's going to have to be how he plays his time, what, rush, what, what lineups he puts in. He's going to have to push all the right buttons. He's a great coach. He's a really good coach. The pressure's going to be on him to somehow make this team. And then a guy like Josh Richardson, can he step up? Can he become – or he's not going to become – a top five player in the league. Can he become a top 15 player in the league? Maybe a top, you know, 20 at least. How is Goran Dragic? How much does he have left? There's a lot of questions. You can see, you can, you can see the path for the Heat to take, but it's gonna, it's just gonna be tough, and it's gonna be tough to beat. They're not gonna be Boston, but if everything went right, they could be a two seed. But if everything goes wrong, they're not gonna make the playoffs either. So it's a, it's a very interesting year for them, and I think it's going to be something that I think the pressure is going to be on Spolster, a lot of pressure on him to be able to figure out, i got all these pieces. How do I put them together for a team that's going to win? Now, he's brought everybody back from last year. When does Kelly Olynyk play? When does he does it? When does Justin Winslow play? Yeah, they have a lot of nice players. You're exactly correct. A lot of nice players. How, what, is, the, are they, is, the, is the sum going to be more than the parts? <laughs> you know, is the whole going to be greater than the parts? And that's going to be Eric Spolster's challenge. It, no, that's a great point. This is, a lot of this is going to come down to Spo. And what an interesting, only in the NBA is this a problem. We've got too many good players. No superstar. We get too many good players. In baseball, you can win with that. In football, you absolutely can win with that. Basketball, a little bit of a different league. All right, Western Conference. I assume everyone thinks the Warriors are coming out as the one seed. But I'm looking to some teams like the Nuggets and the Jazz, who I think are going to take big steps this year. Not number ones, but I think that they're going to make a dent in the playoffs. What's your Western Conference look like? I like Warriors. I like the Thunder at number two. I do think that Westbrook and George are going to figure it out. I, I think there's a lot to say that last year was a – I think Carmelo – oh, I want to get back to the Rockets a second. He doesn't fit in at all. Everyone said this is one thing. He, he doesn't shoot the three well enough. It's not – he doesn't – he's getting 25 minutes a game. I don't think he fits in with the Rockets. I think that's an addition – that's subtraction by addition or however. <laughs> but I do think he's going to help the Thunder because he's not on the team, and they have a guy like Dennis Schroeder who's going to make a big difference on the team. And I do think that the, the relationship between George and Westbrook is going to be further cemented this year. I like them to get the number two seed, the Rockets the three seed. The Jazz are great. I love Dennis Mitchell. He's tremendous. Um, and Inglis and Gobert and Rubio – uh, I think the Blazers, who were the three seed last year, I think they're going to be uh, the uh, the five seed. The Nuggets, people have to watch Jokic play. He's tremendous. They're center. He does everything on the court. Uh, the Nuggets are a very interesting team, but I still think they're a little inconsistent. They'll be the six seed. Starting out, the the the, the Pelicans, New Orleans, has been great. Uh, but I think I think they'll definitely make the playoffs the seventh seed, and I think the Lakers get in on the eighth. LeBron will figure out some way to win forty some games and get that eighth seed. He's not gonna. LeBron will not be denied from the playoffs. I think I would bet my life savings that LeBron does not find a way to miss the playoffs. That guy is going to be playing in the playoffs somehow. He might have to win 10 games on his own back to end the season, but uh, you're going to see the LA Lakers in the playoffs. Ira, I always tell people one of the easiest ways to make money in sports gambling is by betting over and unders before the season starts. You look at the number and say... I think this team is a lot better than that. Or there's no way this team lives up to this. If you're a betting man, who would you be taking the over on this year in the NBA? 
I, I still like Golden State at over 61. I still the way that the, the league plays right now. There's so many games games between. They're still resting players, but I just think Golden State. They're going to win. Two, I think they're going to win. I think I like the over on them. I love the Celtics over 59. They have a, they're playing the East Conference. They're playing the Knicks. They're playing the the, the Nets. The, they have a lot of Brooklyn, bad teams they yeah. play. I like I like the Jazz over 50. Um, and uh, on the under, I think Minnesota is going to have trouble this year. I, I think this whole Jimmy Butler thing, I don't think Carl Anthony Towns is – I think they're going to struggle. I think Minnesota is under 42, and I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. And I think the Knicks are, 20, are under 27. Uh, they, they're, they're star, uh, their first-round pick, Knox, is already out for three weeks. I picked him in fantasy. Um, <laughs> he's out three weeks. Hardaway's going to get hurt. Persingis is never going to come back. Knicks are terrible. They're not. They're going to win twenty games, not twenty-seven. The Knicks are terrible, and that's the team I've been following for thirty-five years now. It's seven thirty-nine. Iron Sports ninety-five-nine. True Oldies Channel. Let's run through some NFL. It was an interesting Sunday. Um, Detroit, Miami. This one kicked off. Osweiler had a pretty good game, Ira. And I. Do you think that there's a performance he could put together? You know, he's playing this week on Thursday night in place of Ryan Tannehill. You think there's something he could do to steal this job from Tannehill? Uh, yeah, I think he can. I think if he wins, <laughs> I think if he wins, I think at this point now they're four and three. They they need to win. They need. To, I think there's a point where yes, if he, if he's able to win on Thursday night at Houston, I think you're starting to look at that. Right now, it's a win now mode for the Dolphins. Um, for Adam Gates too. Uh, again. But I don't know. It was about, look, they lost to Detroit, so he didn't play well enough to win. I, he, I think that he needed to be on a winning streak. He's not on that. Um, the, the Dolphins' run, rush defense was, uh, was terrible. I mean, Kerryon Johnson rushed for 155 yards, the most yards since Barry Sanders rushed against them. Um, and I think that that's going to be a, a serious problem if the Dolphins' defense, if the Dolphins cannot play catch-up, they're trying to play catch-up. They're down 7 nothing, 10 nothing, 17-7, 20-7. They just couldn't get back in the game. They've got to take the lead. And, but they didn't have a running game to hold it. We're gonna, that's one of the constant themes about these games we're going to go over. Absolutely. If you don't have a running game, you can't hold leads. Ask Philadelphia. No, that's that's the story of Miami, too. And they can't stop the run, which doesn't help at all. And the departure of Indomitian and Sue, which, which, he wasn't doing a great job stopping the run. Anyways, they look even worse. Can I tell you about probably the worst draft pick the Dolphins have made in the last decade? It's got to be Devontae Parker. Um, he's what they'd call in, in, uh, in hockey a healthy scratch. Adam Gase decided to not play him. There's uh, you know, some issues going around. His agent is calling Gase incompetent. Do you think that this is on Devontae Parker, or do you think Adam Gase and the Dolphins organization has failed him as a first-round pick? Anybody who's been drafting. Devontae Parker has been like uh, Benjamin in terms of there's some of these guys that keep getting drafted in fantasy, and they're waiting to, for them to erupt and have these great games, and they don't. I mean, how many people? I think if you just ask fantasy football players about Devontae Parker, they're like, oh, my gosh, no. I mean, he is, how many times has he played a snap at the whole game, and he's, he looks like the most talented player on the field, and he has one catch for seven yards, two catches for ten yards. It's just, no. Devontae Parker, is just, he's just not a good wide receiver. And it's just not going to happen. And he maybe should go somewhere else and see if it works somewhere else. I have a feeling that um, you know, the, the trade deadline's a week away. I have a feeling that the Dolphins are actively trying to find him that other team to play on. It's Iron Sports 741, 95.9, the true oldies channel. Ira, here's a funny stat. The Buffalo Bills have scored 81 points this season. Todd Gurley has scored 88 by himself. The Rams are easily the best team in football. I, I don't see a team in the NFC being able to stop them. What about you? 
I'm in a sports bar in L.A. on Sunday. It's a great sports bar called Goal. I love this bar. It's, it's my favorite bar in L.A. It's a small bar. They have tons of TVs. It's, uh, celebrities go there. It's just, it's just a fun place to watch the game, and you can see. But, of course, a lot of Rams fans. So they had the sound on. They, you know, I'm watching every other game. But, boy, I mean, the Rams are good. I hate when people come to me and say, there's no really good teams in the NFL. I go, have you watched the L.A. Rams? Like, do you see what the L.A. Rams do? Their defense, Aaron Donald had four sacks. Their defense is tremendous. They have a great passing game. Jared Goff is like one of the best passers in the league. They have great wide receivers. And then whenever they get a lead, they just give the top curly. And if you're anybody who is in fantasy, anybody who plays fantasy, I mean, there's one running back in the NFL right now. It's Todd Gurley. He scores three, four touchdowns a game. They throw it to him. They run it to him. Everything. Whenever they need. We talk about teams saying, how, what do we say? They need one first down to cement the game, ice the game, and they never get that first down. We saw that with New Orleans. You can go through all Philadelphia. I can go through all these games where teams blew lead. Now, the Orleans won the game, but they almost did. Or, or Washington and the Washington and Dallas game. The same thing. Teams can't get that first Todd Gurley gets the first down. Todd Gurley gets the extra three yards. On third and three, he gets the first. He's, he's tremendous. They have everything. They're going to win the NFC. I mean, I thought I said Minnesota was. This team is, I mean, it's going to take New England or Kansas City just to outscore them. They're going to play a perfect game. But right now, we're watching. You have a great team in your midst is the L.A. Rams. No, you're absolutely correct. You're talking about the defense. In my fantasy league, the Denver Broncos scored 41 points. They played Arizona. Josh Rosen just got destroyed. Three interceptions. Two of them went to the house. That takes a lot of points on. The Rams scored 30 points without a defensive touchdown. That just goes to show how devastating they were to get even cool. Anything over 15 or 20 without scoring a touchdown is amazing. They put up 30. Speaking of amazing, this Chiefs offense keeps rolling. And I, I, I got to tell you, I'm shocked at how good that these guys play week in and week out. They devastated the Bengals. Well, I, I think one of the questions people might want to ask is, why did Pat Mahomes not play last year? I mean, last year he sat on the bench the whole year. He's clearly... I mean, right now he's the MVP of the league, the best quarterback in the league. He's throwing touchdowns. I mean, they won 45-10. It wasn't even close. Four touchdowns. He has 18 touchdowns for the year. The Chiefs record is 30. He's only played seven games. Um, they have <laughs> the, their skill position players. Hunt is one of the top running backs. Kelsey, best tight end. Watkins and Hill. I mean, they're unbelievable. They, they look like they're playing 11 on 7 on their offense. It's just not even a joke. Uh, they're un, they are amazing. They are an amazing offense. Mahomes is a great quarterback. And it looks like it's going to be Kansas City and New England and the AFC championships. But every week, people are waiting for Mahomes to like come out. They'll, defenses will figure them out. You can't just keep tricking this league so long or do this. I'm telling you, I, he, he just keeps going. And, and I don't know when people are going to figure him out, but he seems to be putting up 40 points every single week. No, he does. He's absolutely ridiculous, and he's fun to watch on top of that, and he seems like a good kid, and it makes me more intrigued. Before we talk about the Cowboys-Redskins, big trade today. I don't know if you saw, Amare Cooper got sent from Oakland, or LA Raiders, uh, to the um, uh, to the Cowboys. Cowboys gave up a first-round pick, Irie. You think they gave up too much, and do you think Amare Cooper can make an impact for the Cowboys? Oh, I cannot believe it. I mean, that just shows you how desperate the Cowboys are. Amari Cooper is not a first-round pick type of player. I mean, no. that's just un- – I mean, he's like fifth round. I mean, look what the – Carlos Hyde was a fifth. Uh, the yeah. Patriots give for Josh Gordon, a fifth-round pick. Yeah. Josh Gordon is much, much, much better than Amari Cooper. I think this just decide- this smacks a total desperation on the Cowboys' part. I mean, I, I think they were made the trade because, look, they were about to, uh, to tie the game up on a 47-yard field goal that they had a legal procedure penalty, became 52, and then it hits the crossbar. Um, they, it was, 
it was the situation where I texted you. I thought Jack Prescott had a chance to go and take the lead, and he fumbled the ball. Uh, the Redskins then were scored a touchdown, made it 20 10. And then Prescott did have two nice drives at the end of the game and sort of redeemed himself. But boy, the Cowboys couldn't get any rushing going. I mean, Elliott, Ezekiel Elliott, 15 carries for 33 yards. And on the other hand, Peterson for the Redskins, I know you drafted him in fantasy, 24 carries, 99 yards. I mean, just an amazing performance on his part. But uh, I think it just signs his total desperation. I think they made that trade after the game. Uh, I think a week from now, they wouldn't make that trade. We had a really interesting game in uh, New Orleans and Baltimore, 24-23. to Baltimore's defense always seems to be there, and they seem to be the, the, you know, the, the component holding that team in games. New Orleans did get the best of them, and they're, they're just a really good team. Um, it's interesting to see, though, that both teams are using a little bit of trickery, and I know a lot of people haven't heard of Taysom Hill before, but over the next couple of weeks, you're going to see him on the field for New Orleans. Tell us about it. You know what was funny about the game is that I, now I did not have the sound on the game, so I see Taysom Hill. He's the backup quarterback. He's playing quarterback. So I'm thinking, that's interesting. What's he doing here? Did Drew Brees get hurt? And I didn't see any reports. Drew Brees is hurt. No, Drew Brees is playing wide receiver. But there's the same thing that that's what the Ravens do, where they put Lamar Jackson and put Flacco out playing wide receiver. Now, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't move. It's interesting because they don't want him to run because someone's just going to have to take a shot at him. So he just stands there. But now both teams are employing that same strategy. Now, I do not think the Steelers are going to put Ben out on the wings. And I don't think a lot of it, but it's interesting that, that, that the Saints did the same thing. But uh, that game was amazing because at the end, the Ravens were able to score and tie the game up, and, and Justin Tucker... And he wanted to play fantasy again. He's consistently the best kicker in fantasy football for like the last decade. He was 222 for 222 on extra points, and he missed the extra point. Amazing. Crazy. Not blocked, not bad snap, just missed it, and they lost 24-23. Pretty amazing ending of the game. Can I tell you a funny story? So my fantasy league is your flex can be a quarterback. So it's essentially a two-quarterback league. Every single quarterback is taken. There's not a single guy available. So I have Jimmy Garoppolo. He goes down. My season's essentially screwed. Week 11, I have Tom Brady. He's going to be on a bye. Who did I pick up? Taysom Hill. Just to have maybe get two or three points out of this guy or hopefully, you know, a lucky touchdown throw to Drew Brees. But, you know, it's interesting to see uh, these teams trying to do things a little bit differently and it working, uh, you know, on a lot of occasions. I think that Nick Foles might have changed the way offensive coordinators scheme a little bit uh, due to the Super Bowl last year. We're just about two or three minutes away from Spencer Hill joining us uh, uh, right here on Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. Um, Before we get to that, I have a term, Ira. It's called sneaky good. And I think that the Chargers are what I'd call sneaky good. Not a huge win over the Titans, but they're in England, so I always give teams a break. But this team's now 5-2. and two. What do you think the expectations, and what's the ceiling here for a, like I would say, sneaky good Chargers team? Amazing. I mean, in L.A., nobody talks about it. They play in Los Angeles. They, they don't no play fans. in San Diego anymore. No one knows about them. They played in England. at. Remember, this game was played in England. Do you know what time it started in L.A.? At 6.30 in the, 6 o'clock yeah. in the morning. I mean, no one was watching this game. Nobody. It's their own team, and it started at 6 in the morning. It's one thing people said, oh, on the East Coast, I have to get up 9.30 to watch football. They had to get up at 6 o'clock to watch their own team play. They play in a stadium that nobody shows up for except for the opposing teams, but they're 5-2, and, and they're playing great. They have a really good defense. 
and, uh, uh, and, and Philip Rivers is still elite, unlike Eli Manning. Um, but, uh, you know, at 306 yards. The interesting thing about that game was the Titans, when they tied it at the end of the game, they, they were down one, and unlike the Ravens kicking an extra point, they went for two to win, and they didn't get it at the end of the game. So that was a, a pretty surprising ending of the game. But the Chargers are good. Chargers are very good, and they're going to make – they're going to be – they're definitely a playoff team. And uh, I don't know if they can upset Kansas City or New England, but they're, they're improving every week. We're getting uh, Spencer Ross on the line right now. But before that, Ira, Sam Darnold has already been christened as the next big thing in the league. Jets fans are excited. He had a really disappointing, he had a rookie-like game yesterday against Minnesota. Tell us about it. Do you think that Darnold is the real deal and this is just a game to brush off, or should they be a little bit worried in New York? You know, the rookie quarterbacks have struggled. I mean, they struggle all the time. You look at uh, John Elway, his first year at Denver, and you look at Troy Aikman, who won one game for the Cowboys. And then even now, you, you look at these teams. I mean, teams have been struggling, and uh, uh, so I, I really think that, you know, I, I, do, I definitely think that um, just you got to, you, if you're a Jet fan, calm, relax. The whole Aaron Rodgers thing. He's going to have bad games. Minnesota's a great defense. Okay, they're going to cause him trouble. It was very windy. It was cold. It was all those things. Let, just don't be so hard on Sam Darnell. I mean, he's going to have games like this. You've got your buildings for the future, and don't just replace him with anybody now. Don't get all nervous. I, just, I would just say he's going to have a couple more of these games this year. I predict that. Let's talk for a second. Uh, we're still waiting on Spencer. Uh, not able to get him on the line just yet. Jacksonville, and listen, Ira, I'm really happy about this because Jalen Ramsey just spouting off at the mouth like like a lunatic before the season started, saying basically everyone from Tom Brady to Drew Brees is a bum. Blake Bortles is a bum. <laughs> Houston, which hasn't been playing good at all this season, beat the pants off Jacksonville. Jacksonville scored seven points in this game, opened up 3-0, and and now they're dropping games left and right. They said Bortles is the starter for this week, but he's going to be on a, quote, short leash. Do you think Jacksonville's season's over, and do you think that Bortles deserves to keep the job, or will he at all? I, you know, my opinion about Jacksonville is that I think that I'm upset the Steelers lost to him last year because you're seeing how this team is coming apart at the seams right now, and as a Steelers fan in a playoff game, and we lost to the, and the Steelers lost to them twice, and especially in that first round game with the talent the Steelers had. It's inexcusable. This team, was, I, they are sort of a fraud, and the Steelers could expose them as a fraud, and the Steelers were able to score on them. Their defense, they talk, they talk, they talk, they talk. I, I just, it's frustrating. I, I look at them, and they are, they, as I said, we talked three weeks ago that the AFC Championship game is going to go through Jacksonville. Now they may not even make the playoffs. Um, they, they might not be playing any home playoff games. They'll be lucky to play home, uh, uh, even get in the playoffs. Um, and, and, and I love how they're just pointing the figures. It's all Bortles' fault. Well, the defense is fault, too. And it's other players' fault on the team. Their offensive line hasn't played well. And so it, I think Bortles is, is a total excuse for how this team's played. I mean, they seem to be a type of team that if Tom Brady was the quarterback and Pat Mahomes was the quarterback, I think they'd still be blaming them for something. They seem to always – the defense just points the fingers at the offense. So I guess I said this team appears to be coming across a part of the seams and is, is sort of a fraud. No, I mean, I, I agree with you. And Last year was interesting. 
they were very, very, very good on defense. I mean, they were intimidating people, and they're holding great teams to, to shutouts. And it, it was just... It was, they were absolutely destroying people, and Blake Bortles was kind of um, glossed over, and he didn't have the worst season. Granted, he's not going out there, and like you said, he's not Mahomes or Brady. He's not w- winning games and taking you on his back, but he was doing enough to win. Do you think he keeps his job now? Cody Kessler, who is projected by the Browns, is is the you know quarterback in waiting. He came in, didn't look good either. Do you think they're sticking with Bortles for the rest of the season? I would not be surprised if New Orleans is getting a phone call for Teddy Bridgewater. You know, teams like that, uh, even uh, Ty- uh, Tyrod Taylor, they have to be making calls to, to Cleveland. Can we maybe get this guy for a fourth-round pick to try to turn this thing around? What do you think? We're trying to reach you on the other one. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, do, I don't know. They I, might. I, I, I mean, was saying you think we're just Kessler. trying to get Spencer on the call right now. He just called in uh, into the into my other line. But uh, um, you know, I, I think I Kessler looked good. I think that if they lose again, he's going to be the quarterback. I think that Bortles. I don't. They can't keep putting him out there. I think that it's a situation where they can't just keep putting him out there on the game. No, of course not. Now he's going to throw one early pick six. And it's just going to be a disaster, and they're going to be wanting out of there. Uh, Before we get to Spencer, Carolina and the Eagles, this is a great comeback from the Panthers. Do you think the Panthers are for real, and do you think that the Eagles are really as bad as they're playing? Yeah, no, I, I think I think Eagles were up seventeen nothing cruising. I mean, I was at a, there was about five tables of Eagle fans at the bar. They're up seventeen nothing. Fly Eagles, fly! They're all excited. They're great, and but they have no running game. Smallwood had nine carries for thirty-two yards. Um, they really just didn't do anything right, and it was a it was a it was a total it was a total disaster. So, uh, but uh, but they just weren't able to get anything going. It's Iron Sports seven fifty five ninety five nine True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo here as well. Ira, uh, why don't you run through what we're looking forward to college football wise for next week? Uh, we're starting to you know there is some big teams that lost and are probably uh, done for the season. But what are you looking forward to uh, this week in NCAA? Um, I really am looking forward. I think that the uh, Miami plays at Boston College on Friday night. Uh, Clemson's at Florida State, and uh, the Florida-Georgia game is going to be great. And the Washington State-Stanford game is going to be absolutely, you know, that, that's a game that Washington State needs to win as a one-loss team. So I think you look forward for that game as being important. Still waiting out to get Spencer on here. Tell us about what happened this week in college football that we uh, should be taking note of. Um, I think that Ohio State game was one of the, I mean, that was one of the most defining moments of a team. I mean, Purdue was so motivated, and it was just absolutely um, – it, uh, it, was, it was just one of those just tremendous games. I mean, Ohio State had been cruising. Ohio State had been just, just – I mean, they were struggling during the year, but they got blown out. Haskins, the quarterback, ended up throwing for 73 times for 473 yards. The previous record for Ohio State was 52 passes. 52, and, they, and he threw for 73. In 1973, the whole Ohio State team, the entire year, threw 87 passes. Um, and they, and just, it just like Ohio State literally just quit. They couldn't keep up. They couldn't, and, and, and then they got blown out 49 to 20. Just a total smash. We do have uh, Spencer Ross, legendary New York sportscaster on the line. Spencer, thank you so much for joining us. Iro, what do you got for Spencer? How are you? Spencer, thanks for coming on. Um, as... Uh, as an expert on New York sports, 
Um, let's first well, turn to baseball expert, and the New York Yankees. Certainly losing in the playoffs is bad, but losing to the Red Sox is probably the worst thing. Uh, losing a game that you really need to win 16-1 to is pretty bad. What's, what happened to the Yankees against the Red Sox, and why did they uh, lose that series 3-1? Why did they lose? It's real simple. They played the better team. You know, I mean, this, <laughs> this is a joke. The people in this town uh, can't come to the, the conclusion or understanding that they played a team that uh, it could, I think they're going to breeze through the Dodgers and the World Series. This is a New Yorker talking, remember that, okay? Uh, I was at game four in Boston. That's when the Yankees were up 3 nothing in 2004. Look, this Yankee team, Aaron Boone did a heck of a job. A, he had a butcher pitching staff. He had a pitching staff that you literally couldn't rely on anyone. Severino had that more than a hiccup. Uh, Tanaka, you didn't know what you're going to get, and he could be very, very good. Sabathia, He's pitched his last game for the New York Yankees. Chapman had injury problems during the season. Aaron Judge, Aaron Judge was up almost 600 times in 2017. He batted 413 times. You think those 200 bats wouldn't have won them a few more ball games? Judge was injured. He had an injury. Was I had him out for for six or seven weeks. Now uh, then you get to look at the the Red Sox team. Jeez, they, they they are really awesome and they are. Fun. They are fun to watch. You've got you've got an outfield of Benedetti, Bradley, and Betts, which there's no argument. That's the best outfield in all of baseball. Mookie Betts most probably is your most valuable player. You've got Benedetti, who's going to be an absolute star. Somebody said he could be as good as Canigliaro. He could be better than Canigliaro and way out play out there a lot longer than than Tony C. And of course, you got Jackie Bradley, who's arguably the best center fielder in all of baseball. I know he can't hit, but he did have nine RBIs in that, in that victory over the Houston Astros, who, who I think are the second-best team of all in baseball. Nevertheless, with the Yankees, they won 100 games. 100 games. That's a marvelous number with a team that was riddled with injuries, a team that had a, a, a bookless pitching staff, not a pitching staff that you're going to expect to go very far in the playoffs. You won 100 games, and they're trying to roast them. I mean... You know, that, that's a heck of an achievement. Brian Cashman said it. He wasn't just trying to to, to, to toast or give props to Aaron Boone uh, just indiscriminately. Aaron Boone did a heck of a job. But, you know, the idea of Aaron Boone managing the Yankees, people said, oh, why, how could he be managed? He had no experience. Hey, he learned at his grandfather's knee. Ray Boone, who managed in the American League, it was a great shortstop from the Cleveland uh, for the Cleveland Indians. And how about his father who played 20 years in the big leagues and played more games than a catcher in the history of the game. He also managed in the big leagues. You think learning from Aaron and Bob Boone, you think if it just if you get a drop by osmosis, you know this game and know it well. And Aaron Boone does know this game, and he does know it well. And, uh, you know, the, the, Yankees, the Yankees were a nice team, a very nice team. But the Red Sox... Well, the best team in all of baseball, and really one of the best teams I've seen in, in many, many years. And again, this comes from a New Yorker. This Red Sox team is just, uh, just awesome. And I, 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 I got to stop listening to these Yankee fans who, who say they're lucky, they're boring, boring. 
This is an exciting baseball team. Everybody on that team. They've got a great shortstop, too, uh, in Bogarts. You know, that's, that's pretty good. And J.D. Martinez most probably be the runner-up for MVP. <laughs> you know, wow. That's all you can say. So, about so we're wow. talking to Spencer, Spencer Ross, um, legendary New York broadcaster. What, if George Steinbrenner was the owner of the team, you know there would be wholesale changes. But what do you see next year? I mean, what do you see? The Red Sox now have this position of being they're on the top, they're great. What are the Yankees going to do? What do, you think they, what do you think they are going to do, and what do you think they should do to try to bridge that gap between the Red Sox? Okay, first of all, first of all, they, they, need, they need a couple of starting pitchers. Uh, people say Zach Greinke, Greinke can't pitch in New York. You know, he had psychological problems early in his career. Greinke's had a great career. I think he's won nearly 200 games already, 187 games in his career. He had a year with a 1.62 ERA. His last three years in Arizona, he's pitched well, not up to the He's, he's 30, 35 years old. He's got a lot left in his tank. He still throws the ball at 97 miles an hour. I like Zach Grinke. You know, he's not going to be an Ed Whitson. He's not going to be a head case. If he comes to New York, you know, I think he'll be able to handle it. You know, the Yankee fans, Yankee fans are pretty tough. They're pretty tough. I mean, they were booing Giancarlo Stanton. I mean, all Stanton did was hit 38 home runs. He didn't hit quite for average. Uh, his first year with the team, he's only going to get better. He's going to be around... A long time. Shortstop? Well, they got a bit of a problem with Gregorius, who, who actually will be a free agent after next season. Now, again, <clears throat> Yankee fans are, are saying, oh, we don't want Manny Machado. He doesn't hustle down to first base. Hey, listen, Robbie Cano didn't hustle on routine ground balls to first base. Spencer, did we lose you? Yeah, I think... Yeah, we did lose uh, Spencer, unfortunately. He is right. I mean, <laughs> Robbie Cano is never known for his hustle, but he didn't lack uh, flashing of the glove, which Manny Mikado is uh, certainly legendary at, and also he's got uh, quite the bat as well. Ira, where do you want to go from here? I think we can probably try to get Spencer back on, but I think there's a little bit more college that we should probably be focusing on uh, from this past weekend and also looking forward to next. Well, I just want to run through a couple games. Alabama, Tennessee, they look, Alabama is great. I mean, they're not just, they, the, the score was 28 nothing in the first quarter. They had outgained Tennessee 218-6. to six. I mean, this was in, in Tennessee. This used to be a huge robbery. Uh, Tua Tagaloa had 304 yards. He's had, he had four touchdowns. For the year, he has 25 touchdowns and zero interceptions. Alabama is playing like that great high school football team that really doesn't have competition. That's what they look like. They're making the whole NCAA look like that. Clemson had a big win too. They beat NC State 41-17. I mean, these two are the top teams. Clemson look great, but the difference between Bama and Clemson is enormous. In two weeks, you could have Bama versus LSU. It's at LSU. I think Alabama wins easily. Um, the other interesting game that I thought was uh, was that Michigan Michigan State game. Michigan, everyone talked about their defense before the year started. Notre Dame looked like they ran up and down the field against Michigan and then won. But since then, Michigan's defense has improved, and wow, this has improved. Do you realize that Michigan State for the entire game had 94 total yards? Their quarterback was, get this, not baseball with numbers. This is like 5 for 25 for 66 yards. 
I mean, just an amazing. And now they have a quarterback in Shea Patterson who they're trying to figure out how to work. I mean, this is a guy, Jim Harbaugh, who was on the hot seat, was on this and that, whatever, but he's back. And, I mean, Michigan looks like one of the teams to, to go. So, and I think the other game I thought was interesting was uh, game day went for the first time to Washington State. And that and I know you're saying Washington State was excitement. They had like 30,000 fans, the most fans ever. It was 6 o'clock in the morning. And they ended up leading the game 27 nothing at halftime against Justin Herbert, who everyone's talking about is going to be the number one player taken in the football draft for next year for Oregon. Uh, so it's a big win for Washington State, whether they can they – they're 6-1, and one, whether they continue this year with only one loss. But, I mean, that was – to me, those were the, was the key games of the weekend. Ira, before we wrap it up, what are what's your plans for this week? Because I know this could be a busy one. There's a lot of sports to take in. Well, I have a choice whether I want to go to Penn State and the Steelers or I'm in L.A. right now looking at the hills. It's 80 degrees, and I probably will go to the World Series. I've been to about 40 World Series games in my life, and it's great to be at you know, the pageantry, the excitement, and also Dodgers, Red Sox. I, I know a lot of people might not be into baseball as they much, but you know they're going to play on Tuesday, Wednesday. They're going to play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of other sports going on those days. It's truly going to be a great game. I mean, Chris Sale, Tuesday night. Clayton Kershaw, Chris Sale. Clayton Kershaw is the best pitcher of this generation against Chris Sale, who had an amazing year, just in, in Fenway Park, uh, just I mean, you've got to be excited about baseball. This is going to be a great series. I, I, the Red Sox are going to win it, um, I think. I, but um, I just, I'm, I'm just pumped for uh, the World Series. I, it's just classic franchises. The L.A. Dodgers, who used to be the Brooklyn Dodgers, against the Boston Red Sox. I just can't get any much more exciting than that. We are about out of time. It's been a great Ira on Sports for you here on the True Oldie Channel. I want to thank uh, Spencer Ross for popping in as well. Until next Monday, I'm Mike Balsamo. It's Ira on Sports.